Hello and welcome to Furlough, defining moments worth talking about. Once again, I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and I have Steve Otterstrom with us today. And we're excited. We have got a favorite person of mine that's going to be our guest today. So we'll get to that in just a moment. So Steve, I'll give you a chance to say hello before we do introductions to our guest. <laughs> Sounds great. It's It's been, a. I think we, we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier, It's it's been a, a unique a week. Uh, one thing I think that has happened in 2020 is uh, we we get something new, a new perspective. I think <laughs> from week to week, and um, you know, I uh, here in in Salt Lake, and it's been different in other places. But uh, just as as people have been responding to, to uh, George Floyd's killing and things, and and watching. Uh, the protesters and the protests and um, and listening to new stories that I hadn't heard before. It was a interesting week to kind of contemplate and and think about um, you know some of some of the privileges and things that that we have and we sometimes take for granted and and don't realize. And um, it's not necessarily where we're headed uh, today with this podcast, but I, I wanted to just quickly mention that you know um, thinking about how we can maybe be aware of others in our community and the challenges that that they deal with that we sometimes are completely blind to and uh so that was kind of something that was on my on my mind this week i know you thought about it a little bit as well leonard um but of course (laughs) our our hearts and and thoughts go out to people who are suffering right now who are in pain who are angry um and um and the understanding that goes along with that yeah. Yeah. We've definitely had some conversations around our house. And, and as you say, it's not, unfortunately, that's not really our focus today. But the good thing, though, is in having those conversations, it's been a learning experience. And this is just within my own household. Okay. And so if we, the more we can broaden those conversations, I think the more successful we'll be. And so just want to kind of, as you say, just encourage our listeners out there uh, to use these opportunities. Always start with self-reflection and then how can we communicate what we sense and feel and begin to have actual dialogue with others and determine what it is that would meet our needs and best meet their needs. And and it's a two-way reciprocal relationship in that way. uh, I think we'll find our best success. So... Well, without dwelling too much on that, uh, we've we've been dealing with some heavy topics already in past episodes of our podcast. Uh, but as I say, I've got somebody that I'm just really excited to have today. So we have Dr. Britt Andrietta with us. And so if you're not familiar with her and her work, I strongly encourage you to look her up and find out who she is. I'll do an introduction to give you a sneak peek, uh, but there's much more to her than what I'm going to share with you. So she is an internationally recognized thought leader that creates brain science-based solutions for today's challenges. And she is the CEO and president of Seventh Mind Incorporated. And you might even recognize her from what used to be called lynda.com. She was the chief learning officer there. And then as it transitioned into LinkedIn learning, and she's now running her own business uh, since that time there. So I know many of us are familiar with lynda.com and and she through lynda.com has had over 10 million views on the learning that she has out there. So if no place else, you can find her on LinkedIn Learning and watch her there. In addition, she's authored at least three books, 
And these are great books. So write these down if you don't have them and look them up. Wired to Grow, which is how we learn. Wired to Resist, and I'll tell you something about that in just a moment. It's how we handle change. And then Wired to Connect, which is all about relationship and how our brains function. And so really, even though our topic today is on an article that Britt wrote, and I'll share that with you in just a moment, it really kind of the genesis of bringing her to our program was that posting that I posted. So if you've listened to old episodes of furloughed, you've heard me talking about a few times, Steve and I talk about it. I did a posting on LinkedIn sometime back and it was the emotional curve of transitions. And it was one of the most responded to posts that I've had on LinkedIn and it was shared well over 20 times. And so it certainly resonated with the community as we were going through the layoffs as well as the virus and, and things like that. Well, just recently, it's dated May 12th, uh, Britt published an article just spot on of what we're dealing with called grief and loneliness and the side effects of COVID-19 that impact us all. And so we've brought her in to talk to us today. She's been gracious enough to join us and share some of her thoughts around this. And so we're going to kind of dissect this together. So Britt, just thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to have you on furlough today. I'm really excited to be here and thank you so much for the invitation. I always love connecting with people and I know that you've got some wonderful listeners around the world. I had opportunity to go through your change quest model for individuals. You opened that up for a limited window. And so we could take that learning for free. So thank you for that. I was glad to do that and get the certificate there. And that's where I, I know we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that emotional curve, but that's where I captured that information there. Uh, so do you want to just quickly hit on that curve? Because I know that's not the focus of the learning, but that seems to be what resonated with so many of our <laughs> listeners and folks out there. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I had written my first book on the brain science of change because I'm a chief, chief learning officer and just wanted to get better at my craft. And then LinkedIn purchased lynda.com. And it was exciting. I was thrilled to work for LinkedIn. I'd always admired them as a company. And I you know, had a good job in the transition and, and it should have been just completely wonderful and positive. And I was a hot mess. I mean, I was just <laughs> a mess and, you know, you know, cycling through, oh my God, I'm so excited. This is going to be great. What if I hate it? Nobody likes me. You know, what if this, what if that? No, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And then, you know, I, within seconds, I would have all these emotions and I'm certified in a lot of change models. And it was only when I was in the middle of such a, it was a dramatic change, you know, I walked in at 8 a.m. and was told that my whole future was different. Um, it was, it was, then I realized, oh my gosh, what we know about change is, is not accurate. So I totally did the research and wrote the second book, Wired to Resist, because I was curious about what was happening to me and my colleagues. And what I discovered was all kinds of really interesting things about how our, our brain responds to change. But the two most important pieces are our brain sees all change as potential danger, right? We, we, are basic, we are wired to survive above all things. We first scan for survivability. And so our brain sees change as potential danger until it gets enough information. And while it's getting information, we go through this thing called the change curve. That research is actually Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's research. Mm -hmm. um, and she was studying grief and death and dying and found that people have all these, you know, stages of emotions as they make, as they make, 
their peace. Uh, you don't even make peace with it, but as you go through this journey of, of all those emotions, and then it was sure. being taught in medical, you know, like hospitals and medical programs and people realized, well, wait a minute, we just had this change at work and we had all the same things happen. So several more studies were done and it became clear that, you know, we basically go through stages of grief when we're faced with change mm-hmm. and that we have to, like we biologically have to do that and have those difficult emotions and and look at fear and anxiety. And then after we've kind of gotten enough data and mourned the things that we might lose, only then can we really turn our attention to the future and start to look at what we might gain. And that's when you start to people get kind of get over the curve, so to speak, over the hump of it and start to move toward the future and start to be more engaged and creative and, and participating in the change. So, you know, that's definitely true for workplace change and personal change. But what was interesting is I was recording the audiobook version of it when the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is totally true for the pandemic. You know, at that moment I was in lockdown and really resisting and frustrated. And and um I thought, wow, you know, this these tools are really relevant to this this moment on our on our planet. And so that's when I chose to make the course free. It's free through June 30th for anyone who's interested. And then it's available after that for a, a you know, nominal fee. Um, so it's something that I wanted to share because I felt this was a set of tools and a set of information I could give people to help make sense of what they're going through. But I always try to leave people with really practical tips they can use right away around how to kind of thrive through change or how to take care of yourself when things are difficult. So I'm glad you found value in it. And that that was kind of my journey through having to need it for myself and then found that it, it was po- perfectly positioned for this very unique time in human history. Yes, a- absolutely so. And, and of course, then uh, we have your article on grief and loneliness, which just, I, I feel just folds in together, dovetails nicely with that. So, and so uh, kind of, you want to, what, what prompted that? Was there anything particular that prompted it? Because it's, I see a May 12th published date. Was there anything that initial that triggered that or just recognizing, gosh, we've gone through this or feedback or what, what, what kind of is the genesis of writing that piece? Yeah, great question. I'm at the stage of my life where I now know to not fight um, synchronicities. Like when things kind of are arriving in my life and I'm seeing things replicated or I'm having an experience and I'm seeing it's reflected in things around me, I now just know to, to follow that. So I myself had been having some some, you know, some dark days, you know, and just crying a lot, even though I was navigating this change. I mean, I work from home already, so that wasn't a big shift. And my daughter had been already dealing with a medical issue. So she'd already been doing school from home and yet still we were struggling with it. Right. And, um, so I was already having those feelings. And then I stumbled across David Kessler's work and Vivek Murphy's work and, just the dots started to connect for me and it really gave me some some framework for understanding what I was feeling. And I find that that happens for me a lot. I just, I, I'm pretty well read and I'm tuned into a lot of different channels. And so when I start to see things kind of pop together, I know that there's something for me to synthesize and maybe share with other people. Um, 
so that was the impetus was just like, oh, this is going on yeah. for me. I see it going on for other people. Let me see if I can be a channel to amplify this message to help people with this, you know, just understand this about themselves and others. That's awesome. Yeah, I found it true in my own life that oftentimes if I'm going through something, I'm not the only person going through it. And so it's it's kind of neat to sort of gather some folks around that are, even if they're not necessarily like-minded, but just gather folks and share that with them. Just, just uh, I think we can all grow through that. So. Yeah. And especially in today's world where anyone can say anything, make a video, create, yes. you know, right? <laughs> we can. <laughs> we won't do it here, but it can be done. <laughs> it's totally doable. And it's sort of scary yes. how doable it is. But, um, yes. you know, I'm a scientist at heart. So I really believe in data. I, I believe that data helps us. And I believe that science, you know, is is very rigorous. You know, things have to be tested and tested multiple times and verified and and all of that. And so whenever I can bring science-based things to the conversation, I think that adds value because I know that it's not just opinions. Opinions are fine, but um, I think when we're trying to give people information, it's really helpful if that information has been vetted and, and really has a scientific background to it. So I, I really highly value evidence-based pieces. And so that's where I try to amplify that while connecting it to the daily human experience we're having. Like I try to be at that intersection of, hey, scientists have discovered some stuff that can help us in this moment we're in right now and, and, and make that connection for people. Well, and, and one more question. I'm sure Steve wants to jump in here too. Uh, but as we kind of think about that, I, I know around my household, even even prior to the recent events of all the rioting and all the concerns of what's happening there and, and prior to the rioting and what we saw in those videos and whatnot, um, it, it's in my own household nearing a bubbling point of frustration and shorter patience with one another and so on. Uh, so is, am, am I unusual or do you think that's occurring elsewhere as well? Well, you're not unusual. Um, well, you might be, I don't know. You know <laughs> oh, thanks. Leonard is we didn't unusual. have to go there. <laughs> we can confirm. So he is unusual. With each other for a good 30 minutes before we started report. So I feel like I know Leonard well enough to tease him a little bit. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. Uh, you know, let's speak to the current events and also where we all are, right? So mm -hmm. this pandemic is incredibly stressful to everyone. You know, we are we are creatures who are wired to survive. So anything that can threaten our survival is going to really stir us up physically and emotionally. So the virus is still killing people, right? You know, it's still it's still very threatening and doing devastation. In addition, there's the economic aspect aspect of it. If people have lost their jobs or are furloughed or they don't know what the economy is going to look like, the ability to have a paycheck and buy food, water, and shelter is still very much stirred up for people. I always talk about how we're wired for three things. Survive, which is food, water, shelter, or our ability to get it. Belong, which is to be part of a meaningful community. That's the tribal part of our, mm -hmm. of our biology. And it's very tightly wound with our survival because we are a tribal species. Our chances of survival have always been greater when we were together. And then become is the third level, which is we hunger to grow and achieve our potential and, and be our best selves. 
And so if you think about it, you know, just the work from home and everything around this pandemic is really messing with both survive and belong, right? We, we don't have access to our loved ones. We don't have access to our work communities. And that's very distressing and stressful on the body. And then in addition, for many of us, it's hard to then focus on being our best selves because we're just trying to manage those two big things. So everyone's been struggling with that to different degrees. Some, you know, the other thing that's helpful is that our biology helps us get adaptive too. So, you know, it takes 40 to 50 repetitions of a new behavior to form a habit where it becomes kind of second nature. So now, you know, this has gone on long enough that people are settling in a little bit. They've kind of got their shopping routine down. They've got their hand washing routine. They figured out how to work from home and, you know, homeschool their kids. Not that these things yeah. are easy, but they're not so unfamiliar now, right? So there's been a, a settling in a little bit. But already that was up for people. And then layered onto it a continued narrative of police brutality and systemic oppression. That has gone on for generations and decades. And communities suffer the results of that longstanding systemic oppression for, in many ways, right? Access to jobs, access to education, uh, living in poverty, living in communities where there's not great health care. So that was already true. That backdrop was already true. And then you started to see this pandemic hitting communities of color particularly viciously, right? You know, many people are, are hold essential worker jobs. And then right now I'm putting essential worker in air quotes because what I mean by that is we are now calling folks essential, but we don't pay them as if they're essential. Mm -hmm. These are oftentimes the lowest paid jobs, right? But we're saying, no, bus drivers, you got to still go out there and risk your life every day. Um, janitors, you still got to do your job. You know, probably only medical doctors are the only ones really getting paid of the essential worker category, probably what they're worth. So then in addition, there's extra exposure there, right? And then on top of it, we now know that the, the, the virus is hitting communities of color far more savagely than it is other communities. So they're dying at much higher numbers. They're getting much sicker. So all of that was exposing what has always been true, right? We have this disparity in access to healthcare. We have this disparity in um, resources and, and that hits people's lives. And then we had three more brutal incidents of police harming people of color, police and community members. So Ahmed Arbery happened, Breonna Taylor happened, mm -hmm. and then George Floyd happened. And Somewhere in the middle there, you also have Amy Cooper in New York City in Central Park activating the white privilege. I'm going to I'm going to call them and tell them you're in a, you're a scary black man and I'm going to activate that so I can get my way in this situation. Mm -hmm. And all of that together, all of that together, I think just became a breaking point. Yeah. A and on top of it, the footage I I, I dare any human to look at that footage of watching a man beg for his life and watching a man be completely compliant and respectful and just have the life crushed out of him while people are begging for them to stop. I mean, I think it was just so clearly brutal and so clearly 
painful to watch, devastating to watch, that not only did communities of color stand up in anger as they should have and have for decades, but now everyone was able to say, no, no, this is just not acceptable. This is not, this is not how we are as people. And, and now we have this flashpoint and I'm so glad it's here. I'm so glad that this moment in time is now finally bringing rise to these voices in a way that, I mean, communities of color have been crying out about this for decades. I remember the Rodney King um, situation and, yeah. and, and hearing just devastating stories back then. Yeah. And that was 30 years ago. Yeah. It hasn't stopped. Thousands of people <laughs> have been killed by police in all this time. So yeah. I think right now what we have is a level of rage and anger that is really appropriate. And then simultaneously, I want to speak to this to a minute because we're talking about grief. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, you also have people with privilege, white people, I'm a white woman, mm -hmm. um, awakening to their privilege. And that is also a really painful experience mm -hmm. because a lot of white people are raised to be nice and believe in equality. And it's really, really easy to be told that it's true. Mm -hmm. And when you finally awaken to the truth of how people are really treated, you have to be really smacked in the face by mm -hmm. how much you didn't know, how much better your life has been for basically the color of your skin, which is nothing about your intelligence or your smarts or how good you are of a person, right? It's unearned privilege. And basically every worldview you had and, and the people that you look to to tell you the truth has completely been stripped away. And that's a really shocking moment to have to make sense of that. And I think that people, we're seeing people in that right now. Uh, obviously people very much care and are, and are coming to the streets and calling their legal, you know, their uh, political representatives and, and, and all of that. And underneath it all, if white people haven't already been on a journey of anti-racism and privilege and understanding these dynamics. They're processing a lot and, and they should, but it's hard. Yes. Well, you know, I've, I'm so glad you yeah. brought it up and that you've even so well articulated <laughs> that, that yeah. journey. Cause I, I think, you know, Leonard and I had a conversation midweek cause we, we get together and talk just cause, cause we do. <laughs> and um, thinking about, you know, specifically Rodney King. I remember seeing that when, when I was in junior high and, and it was so obvious then. And yet it's almost like the biggest challenge that we've had. And I, I think about my own life and myself growing up. And again, I'm just another white guy, but I always had understood or had looked at the story of the civil rights movement as this great success story that, Brown versus Board of Education happened, equality happened, now we're all equal, now we're moving forward, and that was our history, and that was in the past. And, right. and I really, really love um, the way you, you bring up the kind of, in a sense, the guilt and the grief and recognizing we didn't get there, we're not there. And, and in, no. in many ways, I mean, even this week, as I've been listening to other stories and other people talk, you know, the, the first one is a, I, I read a, uh, something on LinkedIn and someone was talking about the things she tells her son. Um, and when he goes out to remind yep. him, keep your hands, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
visible. Don't go into a store with your hands in your pocket. Don't wear your hoodie with the hood up, regardless if it's cold outside. I mean, that's why you have a hoodie, right? So you can put it up. And, um, and, and thinking, that's something I've never told my children. You know, Leonard was talking right. to us last week about how when he gets pulled over, he used to get out of the car and go greet the officer because you know what? That's what you do. Yeah. You say hello. And and it wasn't until he was pulled over when he had a black friend with him, and I'm putting words in your mouth, that that he learned keep your hands on the steering wheel. They're gonna want right. to search the car. That had never been something that had happened um right. before. And, and the, the final nail in the casket for me, I was, I was listening to an NPR piece and they were talking about uh, dermatologists and that um, most skin diseases uh, that black people get go untreated because textbooks don't take pictures of black people when they show the conditions. And so doctors aren't trained to recognize it when it's a person of color. And I thought the list well, goes it on goes on and, and on. on. And, and on, on. And on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I look at like where was my own journey? You know, I was raised clueless white girl, Republican mom. I had a single mom. Um, and in college, in a sociology class, this was the first time I was ever told anything about how society actually worked. And I remember reading Peggy McIntosh's article, uh, "White Privilege: Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack." It's still out on the internet. I encourage you all to go read it. But it's literally a list of privileges that white people have that people of color don't have. And all of the things you just mentioned, right? And and you don't know you have them because you've always had them. It's the air that you breathe. You don't realize that other people don't have it. And we always see the, the world through the lens of our own eyes. So if I have access to good health care and I have access to these things, well, of course, other people do too. And if they're complaining, then they must be too sensitive or that just must be the exception, right? So we can easily kind of put these things in a box. I think the real question that all of us need to sit with, and this is uncomfortable, but we have massive evidence. If you just think back from Rodney King and Tupac Shakur forward, it's not like people have not been trying to speak about this. So what did we do in our minds to make each of those voices an exception. Mm -hmm. You know, why did we think Trevor Martin was an exception? Why did we think Rodney King was an exception? Why did we think all Eric of these Gardner. stories, <laughs> Eric Gardner, you know, the, I mean, the list, there's thousands of names, right? Why did we think it was an exception? Why did we not believe people? And this likens a little bit the women's movement too and the Me Too movement and Time's Up. There, there, there got to be a boiling point of voices coming forward. But before that, there was also this, this, this practice of not listening or not believing people. And I think that's what we really need to pay attention to. And right now, as we're all, as we're all in this together, you know, white people, we are going to have to just do our work and listen. And it's not comfortable, but it's super, super important. And we also cannot ask people of color right now to make us feel better. They are in their own deep, deep grief and their own deep, deep rage and sadness. And they're fighting for their lives. And we can't ask them to help make it easy on us. We got to be doing what we can to support them and to and to use our voices to demand change. 
And I think that's really important because I think sometimes when white people are going through this journey, this was true for me in college, I sometimes wanted someone to tell me I was a good person or to, to, you know, when I did make a mistake, we all do racist things because we've been raised in a racist society. We all have thoughts and actions that, that could be harmful, that are harmful. And when someone calls you out on it, you know, I, I know my first reaction is to say, but wait a minute, I'm a good person. That's not what I meant. You know, um, th- there's not room for that right now. What we need to do is clear the space and listen to listen to people of color. This is their time to tell their stories. And it's our time to really listen and ask ourselves, what can we do to make change? And what can we do to collectively stop this? just put a stop to this. There's no more reason to treat people and exploit people like we have as a society. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> <laughs> no, understandably. And as you're talking, uh, what what really kind of comes to my mind, Britt, it's, it, it's two forms of grief. Uh, I mean, if we want to keep yes. it binary, a black, white, and I, I know there's other people f- affected by more than just the black and white communities, but keeping it binary, it's as almost as though there's a death that occurred in, in literally, I know there has, but I'm just saying from a grief perspective and one community is grieving and going through one experience and the other community is grieving in a different way that may not be as acceptable to the other party. And I'm not naming either color at either time, but in what, what I'm hearing you say is we all need enough space and time to uh, kind of come through this grieving process and work towards what happens next and working towards the future. Because obviously in a real situation of a death of a family member, you know, hey, dad's gone. What are we going to do now? You know, and, and there has to be some resolve as to, you know, this is what it was and this is what it will be moving forward. Is that a fair yeah, summation? I, th- I think it's accurate to say people are de- grieving different things mm-hmm. because the history and the awareness is different, right? The, mm. you know, decades and generations of history versus, you know, a new awakening. And I also see in the streets, a lot of our young people, who really truly believe in equality. They've been pushing, millennials have been pushing for equality for a long time. And now they have a real clear focus for that, which is we can say we want equality, but unless we're dismantling some of the systems that keep inequality in place, like some of our rules around policing, like many aspects of our criminal justice system are completely skewed in a racist perspective. Um, Unless we're ready to do the hard work of dismantling that, taking it apart and creating a new one. And I think that's what's what I what's hopeful for me now is that I'm seeing people, it wasn't about this one officer. It wasn't about these four officers because the protests keep going and the protests are about let's change the systems that allowed this to happen. Let's completely revamp and rethink what the criminal justice system looks like from the the laws and the police behavior through the jailing process, the legal process and the prison system. It's, it's all skewed and we need to look at all of it. And what I'm, I'm seeing hope in is that people understand that enough to, to keep protesting saying we want change and are starting to really hone in on that as a clear place. Yeah. That we're moving away from 
the thoughts and prayers, <laughs> which For sure. are not yeah. bad, but they don't fix things. You can't, you know, it's, it's kind of like every time there's a school shooting and, and it's almost, I feel like the most insensitive thing a person can say now is thoughts and prayers <laughs> because we need something much more than that. You know, we need to, we need to find a way to get our boots on the ground and, and really, really make this change happen. One of the things I love about um, your description of grief is that it's what happens while you transition from that fear, something's going to harm me into what is the potential of this circumstance, you know, and how do we do that? And then that's kind of for me, and this is a sincere question. How do we move from fear to empowerment? Well, you know, the, the research that I'm pointing to is Dr. David Kessler's work and he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, you know, she's famous for these stages of grief that people move through. And he himself lost his son, his, his 20 something year old son. So he also had a very personal journey through grief. Um, you know, part of it is that you just have to feel the feelings. There's no really fast forwarding through it. The, the feelings are, are biological. You know, we have to go through that process. We have to feel the sadness and the anger and the fear and be with that. And the thing is, feelings don't go away. So some people, when they face grief, the feelings are so uncomfortable that they just start doing something to distract themselves, right? Whether that's drinking or getting super busy or uh, exercising or whatever. We all have ways that we numb ourselves, right? Um, the feelings don't go away. They just they just kind of fester in. And so part of any great grief work is getting a support system in place and letting yourself have your feelings and feel those feelings. And it's in those feelings as we go through those layers that the healing is happening. It's it, the feelings are the healing. And as we move through them, we eventually get to making peace with it. Not that it's ever not painful, but that we find, we find our way through and ultimately we come to a sense of purpose about it. And so grief is important. You know, our feelings that we're having in this pandemic and around losing our jobs and for some people losing loved ones and losing our sense of normal, those are all real and legitimate feelings. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to have these feelings. And what we want to do is have healthy ways to express them, not just keep distracting ourselves. And then knowing that as you go through it, you're on the journey. The, the journey is the feelings. And, and then we come out the other side. And if anyone has ever faced a real, you know, painful loss in their life, it's, it's always with you, but it does hurt in a different way. It, it, you are able to find joy again. You are able to find your way forward again. And, and then you look back on that time and there's real lessons in that for you, but the feelings are the journey. And, you know, for when I wrote this article, we were grieving. I was writing more about the everyday grieving we were all doing for our loss of normal and our loss of connection. And then, you know, not even being able to grieve together when someone was dying of COVID, we, people couldn't go to funerals. Mm -hmm. um, so I was trying to name that because I think people were, were being surprised by how sad they were feeling or being frustrated by not kind of understanding what was going on. So I wanted to, to give people the name of it. 
and and also identify that there's layers of grief here. We're not just grieving one thing, we're grieving multiple things simultaneously. Mm. And now added to that is this conversation we're having around race and racism and, and oppression. And that's a whole nother batch of grief that is on top of the grief we were already in the middle of. So I would say, you know, the sigh is, wow. I mean, this is so unprecedented mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, it feels like there's something really powerful moving in the world. Like the world is literally transforming itself in a very short compressed period of time. These protests are not just in the United States. They're all over the world. Mm -hmm, This pandemic is not just in the United States. There's nowhere on the planet you can go and get away from this. So we're all in this together. And I think it's, I'm already seeing scenes of how we're being called together and caring for each other in ways we never have before. And, and we're going to invent a new normal. We're not going to go back to the old normal. And I think that's a good thing. We're going to innovate the world we want to live in. And, and in a way now it's moved into a really deep way of human interaction, not just about medical uh, safety from a virus. It's now about how we treat each other and respect each other, which I think is really powerful and positive. It's really incredible, really. And, and, you know, um, Leonard and I have had the privilege of working on a team that was international. And so, you know, for the last few years that I've, I've been working on this team, it, it's been really great to have my best friends be all over the world and have mm-hmm. that perspective. And, you know, as you were talking, it, it, it just struck me how amazing it would be if, if one of the potentials that come out of this, as you talk about fear moving into an empowerment and a potential and something you can do. But if we could somehow come out of this as a society that sees their citizenship in the world as maybe one of the most valuable things you have, like I'm a citizen of planet earth and my fellow citizens of planet earth and I are working towards creating a better world rather than such a compartmentalized perspective that says, you know, and a tribalism mentality. If we could extend that tribe out to encompass the world, that would be a really empowering thing that could come out of this whole experience. Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about boundary lines, you know, I I think about a a map of the world and a map of the United States and where we draw the line that says, this is the end of one country and the end of the beginning of the the next country. I mean, Mm -hmm. no natural creature honors that you know, like <laughs> yeah. be, bees fly across that line. The sun shines across that line. Um, they're all artificial in a lot of ways. You know, what, what mm-hmm. is really true is the natural things about our biology and the biology of the planet and the biology of all the living, living and inert, you know, all of the systems, the whole ecosystem. And so I think this little invisible virus as scary as it has been, it has faced, it's made us all realize that we are so connected and that none of those lines on a map stop it or change it or anything. You know, it's really about how are we going to be together? We've also seen how connected our resources are around the world and that, you know, the supply chain and, and labor and, and jobs and all of it, it's all connected. So, uh, you know, we're getting a very hard lesson right now. Our species is getting its ass handed to it <laughs> on a daily basis right now. Um, and there's humility in that. Like, I just feel like I'm getting smacked in the face almost every day. And it's, you know, 
it's a good awakening. The, the beauty is we're all in it together. We're all having the same awakening. And secondarily, because of the economic outcome of it, the medical outcome of it, it's exposing these invisible and, insin- in, you know, insidious things that were underneath in a way that we can't ignore anymore. We, we will not be able to put this genie back in the bottle. We will not be able to go back and say, I didn't see that. I didn't hear that. So mm-hmm. it's pretty phenomenal. I feel like we're all in the Matrix movie where once you take yeah. that pill, you can't unsee everything that's happening. So to me, you know, you know there's, there's something powerful afoot. So I'm just <laughs> trying to like hold on and breathe and ground myself. And that was also what I wanted to write about in the article was, okay, we're in this, like we're on a ride here and it's intense. So uh, it's not going to end quickly. We can't just kind of do our normal distracting behaviors and get through it for a few weeks and then back to normal. So we better dig deep. You know, we better have ways of self-care. We better be paying attention to managing our feelings. We better, if we've never talked to a therapist before, now's a good time. If we've never explored mindfulness, now's a great time. You know, getting enough sleep, eating healthfully, connecting with people, caring about people, we're all being called to do that. And the sooner you kind of embrace that and step into it, the more empowered you're going to feel and the better you're going to feel. The more you kind of resist it and you just want to hide in your house and wait till it's over. I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, <laughs> it's going to be difficult because it's, it's not over. It's not going to be over for a long time. So I think for all of us, it's like, yes, it's a lot. Feel it, get support, care for each other. And then let's settle into the work that is required of us to move through this and become and, and create the world we want to have. And, and Britt, let me ask this, because uh, I, I, I love your your optimism as you explain it. And by no means am I the absolute pessimist. But for folks that are struggling and maybe don't quite see it as optimistically as you, because uh, you, you said that we are being smacked in the face and it's a good thing. Uh, and you're talking about embracing pain. So do you have any words of encouragement for folks that, that I realize it's a perspective shift? Uh, so, you know, whether you want to talk to some biology and how we can change that perspective or some practical tips, uh, have you got anything for us there to, to kind of help see things and recognize? Because uh, I'm in full agreement. I think we have just such a great opportunity in front of us. Uh, but I know it's it's still very troubling for a lot of folks. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for kind of pushing on me a little bit there, because I realize that some of what I just said is definitely coming from a place of my own privilege around I still am employed. And, you know, my husband and I have a house and we're we're in a community where I feel safe. So um, my optimism is definitely tied to the privileges that I experience. And I'm sure there's people, I know there's people that have far fewer resources or far fewer sense of comfort in the world and are probably feeling um, really devastated. With that, I would say it's so important to still take care of yourself, you know, like uh, fear and exhaustion really take a toll on the body and where where you can reach out, you know, what's so great is that, you know, there's crisis hotlines that are free. There's a lot of 
community centers that are offering, you know, sliding scale or free therapy sessions, and you can do it over a video call. Um, you know, I know a lot of communities are trying to figure out how do we close that gap between unemployment benefits, if, if you even have gotten them yet, and, you know, food banks and other services. So I know some people are navigating literally, you know, the day-to-day survival, and that has to be their topmost priority and, and that they're just focusing on. And yet I also see people are still stepping up to try to help. So find where those places of help are, you know, tap into the resources that people are, are trying to bring forward. Um, and then if you're in good shape, ask yourself, how can I help? How can I be part of this solution? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're doing fine, buy an extra bag of groceries and drop it off at your local food bank. Uh, pay it forward, you know, find out on your, we were doing this for a while with elderly, right? You know, pay attention to who is around you who, who can't leave because they're vulnerable. Can you get some groceries for them? I think we can all be asking ourselves, how can we create a safety net for our, our, our fellow citizens in this journey? And if you're doing okay, this is a great time to then see what you can share and what you can do to contribute to make it a little easier on someone else. And I see people doing that. I really see evidence of that. So I'm hopeful. And yet I know for many of us, we're going to have to find other things to tap into. I think for many people, their spirituality can guide them through this journey. Leaning on close friends is really important. One of the things I talk about in the article is that, you know, there's days you're in good shape and can help someone else. And there's days when you're not in good shape and either have to kind of tap out and just hunker down and take care of yourself or you actually say, I, I'm the one that needs to get help right now. So I think even just be honest about what shape you're in and what you need is is very valuable too. I don't know, I'm at a little, uh, I don't know what else to say about that other than I know that there's not one answer that fits everyone. Yeah. Um, but I really just want to empower people to, to know that we're in a difficult time. Don't keep waiting for it to pass. Take care yeah. of yourself and... and and tap into the resources that are there to help you through this journey. I, I think what I would take from what you, what you said, and especially for people who are dealing with limited resources, if you have an opportunity for, to do something for yourself, doing that thing for yourself is a good use of resources. That, that you're worth it. If you have an opportunity to do something for yourself, you shouldn't feel like you can't. Go Absolutely. ahead and, and take care of it because that you're the only you're the closest one to you <laughs> and people yeah. do need you <laughs> and and you are important. You know, I think about um, some of the I talked to um, a neighbor uh, who works uh, at a home for elderly people. And she was talking about how right now, of course, no visitors are, are allowed at all. And she says, especially for those that have dementia, it's heartbreaking to watch. Because they say, yeah. when is my son coming? When is my daughter coming? And and they explain, but they can't remember long enough, <laughs> you know. Um, and yeah. and I think about, and of course that's a really difficult situation, hard to know what to do. But there 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 are a lot of lonely people right now. Um, even a couple of weeks ago, we had an opportunity to have a guest on our podcast who's talking about how 
she's quarantined in a country that's not her own. <laughs> um, mm. Her family are on different continents and she has a fiance that's, that's far away um, in another country and they can't travel and see each other. And, um, you know, taking time for yourself when you can, if you have an opportunity for an indulgence, um, take that opportunity. Uh, people who love you would give you um, that if they could. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I also think it's about, we need to be creative. Like our, our, our normal ways of connecting aren't there. So how can we find new ways of connecting? Right. And I've seen people stand outside the, the windows at, at senior homes and sing mm-hmm. songs or hold up signs or, you know, the drive, you know, there's a couple kids on our street who graduated and the drive by graduation, like we're going to have to find creative ways to maintain and expand the connection. And luckily technology can help us do that. Um, but I think the real question is just how am I doing? What do I need to take care of myself even people with a lot of resources and a lot of privilege are still feeling a lot of distress at this pandemic. It's hitting everyone differently, right? Um, but it's really intense. And then when you are in good shape, think about how you can help. How can you help others? What does that look like for you? And it's okay. You don't have to go and do something that's really out of your lane. Like for me, I'm an educator. I build training. So I was like, what's the thing that I can do? I can share one of my trainings. I've got a training on change. That's what I can do. I think everyone has their own gifts and their own place that feels like the right fit. Do that. Some people are sewing masks, thousands of masks. Awesome. It's just the question of what can I do to be of service right now and making sure I'm, t- I'm tuning into how I'm feeling and not pretending like this is smaller or faster than it is. It's a lot. Where am I? How do I take care of myself? And when I'm in good shape, how do I help someone else? Yeah, some great advice. Well, Britt, this has been really good information. I've got a print copy of the article in front of me and and amazing how much this conversation really overlays that article without directly talking or reading the article. Uh, The one area, and I know we're, we're nearing our end of time, uh, but the last piece of the article talks about search for meaning. So maybe that's a good hopeful place to end as well. Not only what we can do for other folks, uh, as we've just been sharing, but searching for meaning. So could you just kind of speak to that a little bit? How in times of grief and in times of this boiling pot that we're in, um, we can find some relief in searching for meaning and kind of describe that just a little bit for folks that hadn't read that article just yet, if you would. Absolutely. You know, again, I'm, I'm talking about David Kessler's work and he wrote the book, Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. And I think it's best to quote him. What he says is, the meaning is not in the death. The meaning is what we do after. The meaning is in us. That is what we can create. The idea of meaning did not take away my pain, but it did give me a cushion that I had not noticed before. And I thought that was relevant. So he's actually taken Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief and added a sixth stage around finding meaning. And I think for each of us, we have to define that our own way. But the power here is 
what are we going to do? You know, some of us have already been asking this question. Like at first it was like, oh, we're on lockdown for, you know, a couple months. What am I going to do with that time? Right. Um, some people chose to drink heavily and make a lot of TikTok videos. <laughs> some people chose to, you know, <laughs> do some self-reflection or learn. Some people chose to be of service in their neighborhood and probably a combination of all those things. I've, I've done all of those things. Um, I think the question for each of us is what is this meaning for this personal journey I'm on right now in terms of like I for myself have realized, wow, I used to create a lot of busyness for myself. I was, I was creating a lot of busyness and stress that maybe I don't need to return to when things improve or wow, you know, I have, while I've been on my own anti-racist journey and my own awareness of privilege, Hmm, I haven't done a lot with that lately. Why haven't I? What do I need to do to, to, to step into that? Um, it's going to be different for each of us, but I think we all have to find our own sense of meaning. And usually our meaning is both a combination of gratitude. You know, David Kessler talks about one of the things he found meaning in was, yes, my son didn't live as long as I wanted him to, but how privileged he was to have those 20 years with him and that he wouldn't have changed that at all, right? Gratitude. And some of it is the meaning that you find in maybe kickstarting you to come back to your sense of purpose or give you more clarity about who you want to be in the world and, and, and how you want to live your life. For some people, they're realizing, huh, I'm not, I'm not on the right path. And yeah, this is painful that I've been kicked off it like this, but maybe it's exactly what needs to happen for me to find the right path. It's going to be different for each of us, but I think it's the question that's worth asking. You know, what meaning can I find from this, both in the short term part of it, but also moving forward. And what I love, what I love right now is that the planet all around the world on every continent, society is saying, we don't want to keep exploiting our brothers and sisters anymore. We don't want to harm our brothers and sisters anymore. If we do nothing else, we're taking that on. That's pretty awesome. And that's something so. we can control, you know, yes. we, we, we certainly are trying to control this virus, but, but we don't have the same ability to control it as we can control our actions and our behaviors and the way we treat our fellow human beings. This, Joe, what a great, great way, I think, to add it, uh, to kind of end this up and talking about meaning. And I want to just share a couple of things that I'm going to try and take away from this. And, um, Starting just with, you know, something you said earlier on, and it is really about your emotions. You can't stop yourself from feeling those, but you can choose to express them in a healthy way. And you don't want to stop yourself because you said that's our healing, right? That's the way we get better. And so I'm really going to try and focus on that and focus on not so much um, trying to control my emotions, but thinking about what is the best way for me to express those. I really found it empowering to look at mourning from the perspective of it's natural for us to fear change and that we'll fear it at first until we get enough understanding so that we can see the potential in it. Um, those are some of the big things I'm going to try and take away. I'm going to really um, also continue to check myself on, on the privilege that I, I have and I'm unaware of my unconscious biases uh, we all have plenty of time to, to think and be in our own thoughts during this pandemic. So maybe that's something others could work on as well. Leonard, is there anything you wanted to add or takeaways you'd like to share before we wrap this up? 
Yeah, gosh, Steve. Uh, Britt, you've done an amazing uh, job, or it's been an amazing conversation. I guess it wasn't a job, but it was an amazing conversation. <laughs> and I, I've, I've listened more than I've taken notes this time, but I did jot a couple of things down that just stood out to me. Uh, and I think I'll end on this one here. As you, in talking about human nature, uh, and you survive, belong, and how to grow, when you talked about belonging, you said that mankind has always survived better together. And I thought that was just a powerful statement there, that we we do so much better when we work together. And uh, so for our listening audience, that's the thought I'll leave you with, is thinking about how you can work better together, whether it's fighting the virus, whether it's fighting injustice. Uh, just uh, hope that you take this to heart. Be sure and look up BrittAndrietta.com. And also she's on uh, Twitter, of course, as well, by the same name, Britt Andrietta. And love to hear your thoughts about this conversation. And if you want to have any additional conversations moving forward, reach out to us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Let us know what this has done for you and how you're putting this into work. And just as always, we want to thank you so much for being a part of this community here. And in closing, I'd be negligent to not mention our sponsor. So I'll end with that, the usual. So don't forget, we are sponsored by Up. Words Unlimited. That's W-O-R-D-S, upwordsunlimited.com. And thank you so much for being a part of this. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>